Well, we've just finished up a series that we called Not a Hostage. And uh, in that series called Not a Hostage, we talked about not being a hostage any longer to things like fear and rejection, comfort, anger, and addiction. And we talked about from 2 Corinthians 10 and 4 how that God has given us weapons of our warfare. Weapons that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. But what concerns me is that sometimes we quote that passage of Scripture and say that God has given us divine weapons for the pulling down of strongholds, but then we don't identify what the weapons are. Not only do we not identify what the weapons are, we definitely don't describe how to use those weapons correctly so that we can be free. And so this morning, I'm going to start a new series, and this is going to be a short series. We're only going to be in this series for a few weeks that I'm calling The Weapons of Our Warfare. And I feel like that the place that I need to start this morning is the same place that the Apostle Paul started in Ephesians chapter 6 when he talked about the armor that God's given us. And so today I want to talk to you about the power of truth. The power of truth. Now this is going to be a little bit different this morning in that we're just going to look at multiple scriptures that's going to help us get an understanding of the weapon of truth today. So I hope that you've got a, a pad, a piece of paper, a pen, a pencil. I hope you've got your Bible out or your iPhone or iPad, whatever it is that you look at your Bible on. I hope that you've got some way to look at these scriptures, mark these scriptures, highlight these scriptures, and take notes from these scriptures. This is what I enjoy, do, this is what I enjoy doing best. This is my passion, is just dissecting the Word of God. And letting the word of God speak to us. Letting the word of truth speak to us. And so this morning we're going to talk about the power of truth. Which brings us to a question that Pilate asked over 2,000 years ago. What is truth? And that is a question that needs an answer. Especially in this day when truth is defined and described in so many ways in our culture. For so many today, truth is subjective. Truth is relative. But when I think about truth, I think about that objective standard that helps us have clarity on what reality really is. It, it is an objective standard. It is a standard outside of ourselves. Because you see, when you talk about truth, the first question that you've got to answer, the first question that you've got to come to grips with is this. What is your standard for truth? That's a very important question. Some people would say, well, pastor, my standard for truth are my feelings. The problem with that is feelings change. I mean, one minute you can be feeling good, the next you can be feeling not so good. One minute you can be feeling good about what I'm saying and what I'm preaching, and the next minute, if you're not careful, you can be offended by something that I say or something that I preach. 
So feelings cannot be a standard. I'm not saying that feelings are not important. Feelings are important. They just cannot be the standard by which we measure truth. Here's a second thing. Some people say, well, I'm smart. Well, you're smartly limited. And you need to know that. Some people say, well, I'm smart. I have intellect. I can figure things out for myself. So my standard of truth is my intellect. The problem is you are a finite human being. And you do not have all knowledge. Only God has all knowledge. But you and I, we are ever learning. We are ever discovering new truths every day of our lives. And that's why so many times when we do, we say, oh, because we just discovered something that we did not know prior. Only God is omniscient. Only God is all-knowing. And then some people say, well, my moral instincts are all that I need to help me define what truth is. Well, the problem with that, especially in our culture, is there are so many different standards of morality. I mean, here in the state of Alabama, you have one standard, but you go to Hollywood... And you've got a different standard of what is moral and what isn't, what is right and what is wrong. So it's very important that we understand and have an answer to that question, what is my standard for truth? And as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, as followers of Christ, our standard of truth is God himself and his word. That's the standard. It's an objective standard. It's a standard outside of our feelings. It's a standard outside of our intellect. It's a standard outside of our moral instincts. God is the one who determines and God is the one who defines what truth is. So I think I need to start this message this morning with perhaps the most powerful truth that every one of us in this room as followers of Christ need to know. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul begins talking to the church at Ephesus and trying to help them understand their position in Christ. When you study the book of Ephesians, the first half of the book of Ephesians talks about our position in Christ. The second half of the book of Ephesians talks about how we live that out, our practice of our position. How many of you know it's one thing to know that you are in Christ then it's another thing to live like you're in Christ. And so that's what Paul was trying to help them with. And he begins in Ephesians chapter 1 trying to help them to discover their position in Christ. And just in case you don't know, let me tell you, that is your position as a child of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, you're in Christ as a child of God. And, and so Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 says, I want you to get an understanding. I want your spiritual eyes to be open so that you can see what's available to you now that you are in Christ. The blessings that are available to you now that you are in Christ Jesus. And, and, and here's what he says when he gets down to verse 19. It's a passage of scripture that we've looked at several times in our last series where Paul said, here's something else I want you to know as 
your position in Christ. He said, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. Now notice what he says next. He said, now Jesus, he is far above. Everybody say far above. Notice he's not just above, but Jesus is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things. Now, if you back up just a little bit, you will see where Paul said that you as well, that you have been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So that is our position. Now listen to me. It is important this morning that you know who you are in Christ. That is the most important thing for you to know. Who you are is so much more important than what you do. Because if you don't know who you are in Christ then you will not be doing what Christ has called you to do or you will be doing it for the wrong reasons. If if you have not already discovered your identity in Christ, then everything that you do, everything you put your hand to, the purpose of that will be to try and find your identity. That's why so many find their identity in their work or in their relationships or in other things. So it's important that you know who you are in Christ. Now listen, the enemy knows that as well. And the enemy is doing everything he can to keep you from knowing who you are in Christ. He's not as concerned about what you do as he is about you discovering who you really are. And you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That is your position. And that's how Paul begins the book of Ephesians. But notice how he ends the book of Ephesians in verse 6, or in chapter 6, verse 10. He says, finally. So he's talked to them about a lot of things. He finally comes down to the last thing that he wants them to be aware of. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in your position in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. Know what Christ has to say about you. And do not let any lie of the enemy move you from that position. You see, it's not that we go out looking for a fight, but sometimes a fight comes to us. Amen? And when that fight comes to us, we've got to be ready to stand our ground. We've got to be ready to maintain our position in Christ, in who we are in Christ. And that's the whole purpose of the armor of God. When you talk about the belt of truth and when you talk about the breastplate of righteousness and when you talk about the shoes of peace and when you talk about the helmet of salvation, to put on the armor of God is to put on Christ. I want to say that again. To put on the armor of God is to put on Christ. It's to be in Christ. And that armor is to help you maintain your position in Christ. And so he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of whose might? His might. 
And then he goes on and says, put on the whole armor. Everybody say whole armor. You, you can't just get half-dressed for this war. You, you can't get half-dressed for this fight that's coming your way. You've got to be fully clothed, fully armed, fully dressed. Every piece of the armor is important. Today we're just talking about truth. But he said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to do what? Stand. So you see, we're not out looking for a fight we are standing in our position in Christ and the devil comes trying to get us to doubt who we are. And so he says this, he said, put on the whole that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the strategy, the schemes, the lies, the deception of the enemy. You do understand that the devil is not a very creative being, that he still takes people out the same way he's always taking them, taking them out, and that's through lies and deception. It's how he began with Adam and Eve, and Paul prayed for the church at Corinth, and he said that I'm concerned that just as Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent, that you too, that you're going to be deceived. And so he says this, he says, put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand against the lies, against the deception of the enemy, telling you things about yourself that are not true that are lies, telling you things about God that are not truth, but that are lies, telling you things about other people that are not truth, but are lies. And he said that you've got to have the armor of God so that you can stand against the lies, the deception, the strategy, the wiles of the devil. He said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. But let me ask you again in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1 where did it say that Jesus was it said that Jesus was far above every one of these and that you and I have been seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places here's one truth that you need to get if you don't get another one this morning and that is you are not fighting for victory you are fighting from victory Christ has already accomplished the victory at the cross He's already fought and he has already won. And he has the victory because of what he did at the cross. And now he is seated far above principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. And everything has been put under the feet of Jesus. So you're not fighting for victory. That's why he says, stand. You're fighting from victory. And, and then he goes on and says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. He says it again, so it's important. That you may be able to withstand. That is, when the attack comes, you're able to withstand it. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. What is the evil day? Well, the evil day might be a different day for you than it is for me. It's that day when the enemy decides to attack you. Your identity in Christ, your position in Christ, who you are as a result of being in Christ. That evil day may come tomorrow for me. It may come Wednesday for you. But whenever the evil day comes, you don't wait until the evil day comes to put the armor on. You put the armor on and you are prepared for when the evil day does come. And, and he says... 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to do what? Stand. And then look at what he says in verse 14, first word, stand. Stand, that's what the armor is for us to help us stand, withstand, endure, hang in there. As Jamie said a few minutes ago, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree planted by the waters, I shall not be moved. Amen. So he said, stand therefore having girded your waist. Now really, you gotta stay with me here this morning because we're gonna look at some scripture. I'm not gonna guarantee you I'm gonna get you out of here by 12 today, so go ahead and get that out of your mind. But he said, stand having girded your waist with truth. Some call it the belt of truth. It's the stabilizing weapon in our arsenal. It's, it's, it's stabilizing. That's why he mentions this weapon first. The weapon of truth. The belt of truth. You know, when, when a man gets up and gets clothed and he puts on his shirt and he puts on his pants and he tucks his shirt into his pants and he tightens his belt, it gives him confidence that his pants aren't going to fall down and leave him exposed. And not only that, but his pants fall down and him trip over. Because that's exactly what the enemy is trying to get us to do. He's trying to trip us up. And so he says that you've got to have the belt of truth. In Paul's day, what he would have been referring to was that tunic that Roman soldiers would have worn. And when it was time for them to go to battle, they would reach down and they would pull it up and they would tuck it into their belts so that they would be ready to move freely without hindrance, without being encumbered. And that was the purpose of the belt of truth. It tightened things up. It held everything in order. But another translation says it like this. It says to, to gird up your loins. Loins. So I looked up the word loins. And yes, it means that area around the waist. But listen, loins also includes your reproductive system. The, the belt of truth was not a belt like we wear today. It was a belt that had several strips of leather that would hang down protecting the reproductive areas of those soldiers. Let me tell you why I think this is important. It's because when God created man in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, what is the very first thing he said to him? Be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth. And the enemy knows the power of truth that when truth is heard and when truth is understood and when truth is put into practice, he knows how fruitful you're going to be. When you discover who you really are in Christ Jesus, the enemy knows that he's got a fight on his hands because he knows you're going to be productive. He knows you're going to be fruitful. He knows you're going to do great things for the kingdom of God. And he's doing his best to destroy your ability to produce fruit. Somebody is going to get this this morning, and I believe the truth's going to set some people free. Now, listen. Why is this important? Here's why it's important, because the devil piggybacks on lies. The devil rides lies 
like a racehorse. Now, I'm going to say something right here that might offend some people, but it's truth. And sometimes truth offends. But if you have believed a lie of the devil, you have invited a demon into your life. Because that's, that's how it starts. In just a moment, when we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, and we talk about strongholds, that's how he begins to establish a stronghold in your life and in my life. It's when we begin to believe his lies. Because when we believe his lie, it's like we're opening the door and we're inviting Satan to come in and control us and ride us and rule over us. If you don't believe it, let's look at this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 10. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. This is a spiritual battle that we are in that can only be won with spiritual weapons. And he said that the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, he said that the weapons that we have, they have divine power. And can I tell you why they have divine power? Because they're divine weapons. They're not your weapons. They're not human weapons. They're not fleshly weapons. They are spiritual. They are God's weapons that he gives to us to stand firm in our position in Christ. And notice what he says now. On the contrary, he said, our weapons have divine power, the power of God to do what? Demolish strongholds. Demolish those strongholds. Now, we've talked about what a stronghold is. A stronghold is a lie that you have believed is true and you're living as if it's true. Something that the enemy has said about you that's not true. Something that the enemy has said about God that's not true, that you've believed. Something that the enemy said about somebody else that you believed, even though you don't have any evidence it was true, you still believe it. And it becomes, over time, it becomes a stronghold because you're believing a lie and living a lie as if it were true. But, but, but notice what he said in this next verse. He said, so we demolish arguments and every pretension, that is the ideas, the lies, the opinions of man that is planted there by the enemy himself. He said, we demolish those arguments and pretensions that do what? That set itself up against the knowledge of God. Now, now listen to what I'm about to say to you. Notice he said strongholds. And then he says something about things that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Another translation calls strongholds fortresses. And this phrase sets itself up against is the, the, the Greek word for that phrase means partition. And you've been in a room maybe that was big where you could unfold a partition so that it divides the room. So that what's on one side of the room cannot get into the other side of the room. And that's what a fortress is. It is a fort. And the enemy is trying through his lies to build a fort where? In your mind. And every time that you believe a lie of the enemy, and especially if you've believed the same lie for a long time, 
and lived the same life for a long time. I'm no good. I'll never amount to anything. I'm stupid. My parents have told me that. My teachers have told me that. Other people have told me that. My neighbors have told me that. Other family members have told me that until you're at the place now to where you have believed it for so long that the enemy has set up a fort in your mind. He has set up an obstacle, a partition in your mind. And notice why that partition is there. Notice why the fort is there. It's because he does not want you to be able to receive a knowledge of God. He is putting up barriers that block you from receiving the knowledge of God. He is putting up barriers to keep you from knowing who God is and what God is all about. And so here's what Paul said. He said, we've got to demolish those forts. We've got to tear down those partitions. We've got to get rid of those things that are keeping the knowledge of God from flowing into our lives. I want to show you an example of this. Mark chapter 4. I told you we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. But in Mark chapter 4, it's a parable of the sower and the seed. And listen to what Jesus says. It says that Jesus taught people. He taught them many things, and that is believers and unbelievers alike, religious and irreligious. He taught by parables. And in his teaching said, listen, he said, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Remember that. This is a picture of a farmer sowing seed. I think we all understand what that is and what that looks like. And then he said, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. Remember that path. I'm going to talk about that path in just a moment. And the birds came and ate it up. You go back in scripture and you will find that many times birds are compared to demonic spirits. So it's basically here that birds, demonic spirits come and eat up the seed. Verse 5, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. I think we can all identify. Verse 7, other seed fell among thorns. Thorns in scripture are symbolic of demonic activity. Paul even said, there has been a thorn put in my side, a messenger from Satan to buffet me. So thorns represent demonic spirits which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed failed. You remember I told you God wants you fruitful. God wants you productive. God wants you to be able to multiply. That's why the enemy is after your ability to reproduce. That's why you've got to have truth to protect your reproductive system, your ability to be fruitful. And notice what he says, some fell on good soil, it came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, it's time for you to turn off just your physical ear and start listening to me with your spiritual ears. Because he said, I'm about to explain to you what this parable means. So he says this, he said, don't you understand this parable? How then are you going to understand any parable? In other words, if you can't understand this one, you're not going to get the rest. So here's what he said. The farmer sows the word. So the seed is the word of God. The seed is the truth. 
of God's word. And he said that the farmer sows the seed. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word, the word that was sown, the seed that was sown in them. Now let's talk about this path here for just a minute. You know that if you walk the same path enough times, that sooner or later it's going to become a trail. There's not going to be anything growing on it. It's going to be hard, a hard surface so that nothing can penetrate it. That is the picture of a stronghold. Listen, even scientists tell us that there is this thing in our brain called a neural path. And a neural path is when you have heard and you have believed a lie about yourself, about God, and about others. You have believed that lie for so long that it has created a neural path in your mind so that now that's just how you naturally think. And the reason why is because the, tr- the, 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 the path is clear. The path is easy to travel. It's a whole lot easier to go down a, a trail that's already cleared than it is to blaze a new path. It's a neural path. And that's what some of you are struggling with in your mind. It is a stronghold. So that I can stand up here and I can plant seed. I can throw seed. I can scatter seed. But you already have such a mindset, such a stronghold about what you believe about yourself, what you believe about God, what you believe about others, that the seed that's going forth cannot even penetrate because of that path. But what we need to do, because I guarantee you, you stop walking that path for a while. You stop believing that. You stop entertaining that thought. And sure enough, sooner or later, that path is going to grow up again. And it's not going to be as easy to get down. And what you need to begin to do is you need to begin to create some godly neuropaths in your life where you begin to believe what God has to say about you so that when you hear what God has to say about you, that's the path, that's the course you take, that's the truth that you believe. Am I making sense to anybody here this morning? You see, when the seed is scattered, immediately the enemy is allowed to steal that seed because you're like, well, that's not what I believe. It's not how I've been taught not what always been said to me so that you don't even allow the truth of God's word to produce in your life but notice he goes on he says others like seed sown on rocky places they hear the word and at once receive it with joy man wasn't that an awesome message today man wasn't that some good preaching today we walk out of here with joy rejoicing over the word but we don't allow it to take root And notice what he says. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. So when trouble or persecution comes because of the what? The word. They quickly fall away. And listen, that's where some of you are here this morning. The enemy has been allowed and the enemy has been able to use circumstances in your life that were not favorable to you to convince you about some things about yourself that are not true, to convince you about some things about God that are not true. If God loved me, he would have never allowed this to happen to me. If God loved me, he would have never allowed me to go through this. If God cared about me, then God would have never allowed this circumstance and this situation in my life. See, that's the kind of lies that the enemy tells you. 
And because you didn't have any root, when that persecution comes, when that offense comes, the Bible says that they quickly fall away. Look at the next one. Still others like seeds sown among thorns. Hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in, in, and choke the word, making it unfruitful. I'm telling you, the enemy is after your ability to produce. The enemy is after your ability to be fruitful and to be productive. He doesn't want you living in love and joy and peace and self-control. He doesn't want you being a fruitful person. And so he will convince you that there are other ways for you to be fulfilled in your life other than through a living, breathing relationship with God who is truth. But, but, but then notice what happens next. Still like seeds sown on good soil. Good soil. Everybody say good soil. That is a heart. That is a mind that is open and receptive to the truth of God. They've determined that God is the standard of truth and whatever God has to say, I want to hear it. And whatever God has to say, I want to understand it. And whatever God has to say, I want to obey it. And whatever God has to say, I want to apply it to my life. And it says this, that they heard the word, but they didn't just hear it. They accepted the word of God. And because of that, they produced a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Yes, God wants you fruitful. God wants you productive. God wants you to live the abundant life. And the enemy knows that if you ever discover who you are in Christ Jesus, that he's got a fight on his hands. So he's doing everything he can to get the truth out of you and to keep the truth from penetrating your heart, your mind. So what's the answer? What is the weapon? Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue, everybody say continue. If you continue, I need to get my Bible here. I need to get my Bible he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. Not truth defined by you. Not truth defined by your emotions. Your intellect. Your moral instincts. Truth as defined by God. Because you listen to me. It's only his truth that can set you free. I'm going to say it again. It's only God's truth. Believed, accepted, obeyed. It is only his truth that can do what this scripture says. That you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Because you see in, in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul only mentions one weapon twice. Truth. The sword of the Spirit. One defends us. The other is an offensive weapon. He talked about it here in verse 17. He said, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's exactly what Jesus did. And that's all that Jesus needed to do when he was in the wilderness. After 40 days of prayer and fasting, the enemy, the devil himself, comes to Jesus and begins to tempt Jesus. He looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, you see these stones? He said, turn these stones into bread. So what did Jesus do? 
He took out the sword of the Spirit. And he went back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And he said, listen, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. What did he do? He took the sword of the Spirit and he stuck the devil where it hurt the most. He stuck him with truth to combat his lies. Well, the devil comes back, puts him at the highest place of the pinnacle and says, hey, the Bible says that if you fall, that God will have his angels take charge of you. So, so jump. Let's see if the angels of God will catch you. And Jesus goes back to a truth in Deuteronomy 6 and 16 and answered him and said, it is also written that you do not put the Lord God to the test. You shall not tempt the Lord thy God. Well, the enemy comes a third time, puts him up on that high pinnacle again and says everything that you see out here. He said, it's going to be yours. It's a lie. He said, it's going to be yours if you will just bow down and worship me. And so Jesus goes back to a truth in Deuteronomy 6 and 13. And he says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And can I show you what happened as Jesus continued to use the sword, as he continued in the word of God, as he continued to use that weapon against the lies of the enemy. It says, then the devil left him. You want to get rid of the demons in your life? You want to get rid of the devil in your life? You want to get rid of those, those bondages in your life? Then you're going to have to continue in the word of God. You're going to have to continue to hit him and continue to hit him and continue to hit him. And even when you feel like you can't hit him anymore, you just got to keep hitting him with the truth. Keep hitting him with the truth. Keep hitting him with the truth. Why? Because Jack Nicholson said it best. The devil can't handle the truth. Do you hear me? The devil cannot handle the truth. And when you begin to use the truth of God and the truth of God's word against the enemy, the devil left and then the angels of God came and began to attend to him and began to minister to him. Listen to what the Bible says in Jeremiah 23 and 29. God says about his word, he said, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. You wanna break that stronghold down? You want to break that fortress down? When the enemy comes to you telling that you that you're a nothing and you're a nobody, you take that hammer and you begin to hit those rocks and say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I know what truth says. I am a son and I'm a daughter of God. I've been chosen by God. I've been adopted by him. You just keep hammering. When he tells you you can't live a victorious overcoming life, you look at him and say, you know what? In and of myself, I I can't because I know it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's only by your spirit, saith the Lord. Oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm telling you, you gotta keep hammering. And the more you hammer with the word of God, the more you hammer with truth, all of a sudden you're gonna see a crack in that stronghold. And what that crack means is this wall is about to come down. This wall that has kept me from the knowledge of God. This, no, this wall that has kept me from knowing who I am in Christ. It's coming down. We're demolishing strongholds. We're demolishing fortresses. And the way we demolish it is with the the truth of the word of Almighty God. Somebody get upon your feet and thank God for truth. Thank God for this word. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Just stay standing, just remain standing. You gotta keep hammering. You gotta keep hammering. You need some godly neural paths in your life. If any man be in Christ, he is a brand new, she is a brand new creation. All things have passed. All things are new, even what you think about yourself, who you are. I shall not be, I shall not be moved like a tree planted by the living waters. I shall not be moved. And I've got the weapons to help me stand my ground. And it starts with truth. I know who I am. I know that apart from Christ, I'm nothing. But I know that in Christ, I can do anything. Now, I do believe in the power of prayer. We're going to talk about that. Maybe next week, maybe a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about the weapon of prayer. But I think sometimes that we think that prayer alone is all we need. I'm just going to be honest with you. I love praying for people and I'm going to keep praying for people. But until you decide that you're going to hear the truth and do what truth says and believe what truth says, I can empty every bottle of oil I got over your head. And it ain't going to help you one bit. If you're just going to continue to walk out of here and believe the lies of the enemy, if you're going to continue to walk out of here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and not do, as Paul said in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're not willing to do that, listen to me, nothing's going to change. It may change for a little while. You may get a little, leave with a little spiritual high. And it may last you a day or two, but sooner or later, you know what's going to happen? That evil day is going to come again. The enemy's going to attack you. And he can, you, you can talk to him all you want to about what a good service we had last Sunday. But until you can lay some truth on him, he can't handle the truth. And listen, that's why. That's why in this day and time in which we live, Paul said in the last days, perilous times are going to come. And he said that as a result of one of those perilous times is that men are going to get away from truth. They're going to get away from teaching the truth, preaching the truth, living the truth. I'm telling you as your pastor, I'm asking you as your pastor, get in the Word of God. I don't like to read. Well, listen to it. There's no excuse whatsoever for not being able to take in the Word of God. And, but, but just reading it and listening to it is not enough. You need, you need some of these equipped classes we're talking about. You need to get in these equipped classes. You need to get in these small groups. You need to get into things like Celebrate Recovery because there you're not going to just hear truth. You're going to hear truth explained. 
You're going to get an understanding of it. You're going to be taught how to apply it in your everyday life. And that's what we need more than anything right now. I'm talking about a lot of believers who are biblically illiterate. That could not quote you five scriptures from God's word. But when Jesus was attacked, and I know he's Jesus. I know he's the word of God. But when he was attacked, he showed us the weapon that we need. It is written. Do you know what's written? Because if you don't know what's written, you can't say, it is written. And you can't say, well, my mama used to say this. Or my grandma used to say that. Or grandpa used to say, no. What is truth? God is truth. His word is truth. You need to know the truth. And you need to be ready to whip that sword out at any moment. And cut the devil with the truth of God's word. Just cut his lies right out of your life. So, I'm going to pray over you this morning that God will nurture a hunger for His Word in your heart. That God will give you a desire to want to read, to want to hear, to want to be taught the Word of God. Oh, but Pastor, the Bible's so boring. No, it's not. You are. I don't know how in the world preachers and teachers can take that book and make it boring. It's the least boring book that's ever been written. It's inspired by the Holy Ghost. It is the words, the living, active, powerful Word of Almighty God. Nothing boring about that. Nothing. So Father, in the name of Jesus, cultivate within each and every one of our hearts a hunger, a thirst for Your Word. To not just read the Word, and to just hear it, but to be taught. I pray, God, that every stronghold be demolished right now that is not in line with what your word says. We take every thought and we bring it and we make it captive to God's word, to Jesus. Every, every thought that comes into our mind that is contrary to God's word, we're going to take it captive. We're not going to let it in. We're not going to let it in. In Jesus' name. We're not going to believe. We're going to stop believing the lies of the devil. And we're going to replace the lies of the devil with the truth of your word. But God, I'm praying for a hunger. I'm praying for a thirst. I'm praying for a desire for your people to want to get into your word. Because as they get into your word, they're going to learn more about you. They're going to learn more about how you work and how you operate in their lives. They're going to learn more about their position in you, Christ Jesus. And they're going to learn more about the weapons that's been given to them so that they can live an abundant, overcoming life. So God, in the name of Jesus, may we fall in love with your word. And as we read it, as we understand it, as we obey it, may our minds be transformed, renewed to think like you think, God, and to think about us what you think about us, God. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles, and we're seeing it on a weekly basis people's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward 
to personally meeting you.